far as his thoughts of revenue is concerned. And that goes for radio, too. He is not dependent upon box office receipts or rentals to theaters. His one and only revenue derives from, speaking collectively, the merchant, the manufacturer, the industrialist, commonly known as the sponsor, who, again speaking collectively, pours billions of dollars into the coffers of TV to pay for the free shows and his commercials to advertise his product. Thus, the TV and radio tycoons can and do scornfully ignore the protests against the Reds they employ. It is known that thousands upon thousands of such protests constantly pour into the offices of the national TV and radio networks, all go into the wastebaskets. And when any TV mogul does deign to answer a protest, it is usually an insulting verbiage, challenging the intelligence of the protesters to a somewhat lesser degree that is also true of the independent local telecasting and broadcasting stations. Thus it is obvious that protesting to the TV and radio moguls is a waste of time and effort. There's only one place where protests can have any real effect the sponsors. But to be at all effective, the protests to the sponsors must be identically the same kind of protests that closed the thousands of theaters that persisted in showing red stars and red slanted films. Because except for a few, very few, the sponsors are not much concerned about the reds who are employed in the shows and commercials they pay for, or the treason propaganda that is injected into those shows as long as they continue to sell their products. At this point, let's not overlook the local broadcasting stations. As we know, each of the national networks maintains one wholly owned station in every metropolitan area. But in the larger cities, there are, in addition, anywhere from three to seven or eight independent local stations. So, just as the Hollywood producers depend upon the local theaters throughout the nation for distribution of their films, so do the national networks and channels and the sponsors depend upon the local broadcasting stations for their nationwide showings of their weekly TV shows such as the brazenly vicious communist propaganda carriers, Mission Impossible, The Invaders, The Defenders, East Side, West Side, The Old Red Stars, Red Slanted Old Movies, and The Louis Lomax Talk Shows. Most of the local TV and radio stations are owned and operated by local owners. But except for local news and local shows, all of them are serviced by the national networks exactly as local newspapers are serviced by the Associated Press and other press wire services. But there's one vital difference. The newspaper can and often does cut and or delete a wire service story as the editor sees fit. But in radio and TV, only the editor of the national network can cut, delete, or distort the news or the verbiage of an address. The local broadcasting station must deliver to the public exactly as it receives it from the network. In other words, we 
cannot look to the TV and radio moguls and local broadcasting stations for a cleanup of their communist propaganda. We cannot look to the flagrantly leftist and controlled FCC for a correction of that evil, or to the traitor in the White House, or even to voluntary action by Congress. When we first launched our project to drive the Reds out of the film industry, we found it to be such a terrific all-out job that we did not attempt to include radio in the then infant TV in our crusade. But as the banished Reds flocked into radio, many of the more alerted Americans, particularly the club women, took it upon themselves to cleanse radio. A slow but ever-increasing stream of letters began to bombard various radio sponsors protesting the employment of the Reds. We, CEG, had unmasked in our Red Stars tract. That finally took on such proportions that the press, muzzled though it is, was forced to take notice of it, as shown by the late Heather Hopper when she published the following item in her then nationwide column. I quote, A prominent star with a pink reputation appeared on a leading show a few weeks ago. The sponsors got so much protest mail, they're now looking into the activities of every actor they cast in their shows. When listeners stop buying the products, that hurts. Unquote. That last line, when listeners stop buying the product, that hurts, is the tip-off to the American people. It is the one surefire weapon that can smash the internationalist bankers and CFR control of TV and radio and drive all the Reds off the air. With that knowledge that the sponsor is our real target, it behooves all of us to know all about him. Actually, there are three kinds of sponsors. But first of all, let me point out that very few sponsors have of their own accord objected to Reds and or Red propaganda in their shows. The wiser sponsors, or I should say the more astute merchandisers, when warned by public disapproval of the Reds and fellow travelers on their programs, began to carefully screen their talent. But there are others, tragically some very top drawer ones, who, whether misguided by their advertising agents or influenced by the supposed drawing powers of certain names, have continued to hire notorious reds. Then when the mail brought floods of protest, such as a sponsor sought to placate the protesters with various types of phony alibis, and this continues to this very day. Some of the alibis were, and still are, patently tinged with leanings to the left. This particular type of sponsor usually sharply retorts that he is interested only in his star's histrionic qualities, not in his ideologies. Then there is the alibi in which the sponsor patronizingly informs the protester that he, the sponsor, is quite an expert on communism, that he had discussed the matter with his star and found him to be a very fine American who is merely somewhat inclined to liberalism, which, the sponsor says, 
is frequently mistaken for communism. Then there is the third type of sponsor, who is frankly greedy for a high ratings name. This sponsor is very short-sighted. He is selling his customers short, because even his regular customers can readily be transformed into indignant boycotters by a continuous employment of red and fellow traveler entertainers. I can point to a number of red stars and newscasters, Chet Huntley for one outstanding example, whose ratings indicate millions of viewers and listeners, who nevertheless are positively poisoned to the products they advertise. Our files contain proof that many TV viewers go out of their way to buy products at higher prices rather than patronize the sponsors of Reds and fellow travelers. Naturally, the various excuses and alibis are varied, but the vast majority of sponsors, coached and advised by the networks, have always had one feature in common, a challenge to the protester to prove the actual guilt of the star or writer or director in question. Yes, the sponsor admitted, he had read Red Treason in Hollywood. He acknowledges that in addition to the Red Star's tracks, he found the star's name in various listings of Red. He even acknowledges that he has vaguely heard from other sources that his star leans to the left. But where is the proof, demands Mr. Sponsor, that he has actually participated in Red activities? He further points out that while Fagan included his star in the Red Star's track. There's nothing in the tract or in his, Fagan's books, that pins communism on his star. It is quite possible, the sponsor triumphantly emphasizes, that his malign star was just a dupe, or was labeled a red because of a tendency to tolerance and liberalism. Hence, contends the sponsor, in the absence of documented proof of actual participation in red activities, he sees no reason why he should deprive himself of a highly desirable entertainer. That statement by such a sponsor is phonier than a lead dollar, because right in the Red Star's tract, there's a specific statement that every individual named in the tract had been tried by the House Committee on Un-American Activities and found guilty. There is absolutely no doubt that without the acquiescence of the sponsor, neither TV or radio would ever have become a sanctuary for the banished Hollywood Reds. By acquiescence, I do not mean the liberal sponsor who knowingly and deliberately gives preference to the Reds, nor the rapidly pro-Red sponsor who, to whatever degree he can, actually blacklists the loyal to America actor, writer, and producer. The acquiescent sponsor, ideologically speaking, is neither fish, flesh, nor ordinary red herring. He is not pro-red, and if you accuse him of being even remotely less than pro-American, he will sputter righteous indignation. But he does not permit love of country to hamper him in his business affairs. He is swayed, or so he says, by the fact that the TV mogul can favor him in many ways. 
not the least being a desirable time slot for his shows. Therefore, when the channel chieftains suggest a red star for his shows, he feels obligated to acquiesce. There is still another way that this type of sponsor maintains his good relations with the TV powers that be. Very few, if any, sponsors produce their own shows. They or their advertising agents contract with professional producing studios that specialize in TV work to do the job. Studios that have the blessings of the TV moguls. There are a number of such blessed studios in Hollywood and New York. In Hollywood, the two most favored by the three national networks are Screen Gems, owned by Columbia Pictures Corporation, and Desilu Incorporated. In New York, the two most favored are MCA Review and Theater Guild. The reason for such preference is, as you shall see here, quite obvious. MCA has for many years been the mammoth theatrical agency in America. They first appeared as agents for actors, writers, directors, bands, and orchestras. A listing of their clients through the years has been virtually a who's who of the Reds in the entertainment world. MCA has a very close affiliation with the Anti-Defamation League. Do I have to say any more about MCA? The Theatre Guild was for many years a famous producer of Broadway plays. The founders of Theatre Guild were Teresa Helburn and Lawrence Langer. They launched it during World War I, and their backers were Jacob Schiff and Otto H. Kahn of Kuhn Loeb and Company. Theatre Guild produced all of the U.S. Steel Corporation TV shows, as well as shows for other TV sponsors. Naturally, by the very reason of their shift con financial backing, all Theatre Guild shows have been always heavily larded with red. Desilu was the outfit that was spawned by Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. At first, Arnaz headed the outfit, but after their divorce, Lucille became the president and she acquired the old RKO studios. It is a matter of record that Lucille Ball was a registered card-carrying communist, that her home for years was a nesting place for communists at which many red projects were hatched. When all that was revealed in 1947, Lucille plaintively explained that it was all her dear old grandpa's doing. It seems, according to her explanation, that at that time, even though she was a full-grown 24-year-old woman who had been smart enough to forge her way into stardom, her crafty old grandpa had done all her thinking for her. And so she wailed, it was that old devil grandpa who had been used her into all her communist activities. Anyway, after poor old grandpa had gone the way of all flesh, our little Lucille came to her senses and eschewed communism and all of its horrendous complications. So she said, but apparently the poor little darling is completely colorblind because during all the years that followed, practically the entire Desilu staff of writers, directors, producers, also many of the actors have been and are 
flaming red. And as evidence that the powers that be in TV see no wrong in such brazen support of communism, in last year's Emmy Award proceedings, little Lucille was proclaimed to be the greatest actress in TV. Endeavoring to be fair, I will say that not all TV shows employ red stars or contain red propaganda. The westerns, particularly those depicting the events of the 19th century, are intended to be sheer entertainment. To a considerable extent, the same may be said of some of the private eye or detective series. But with few exceptions, all the other weekly hour shows and special events such as the Huntley-Brinkley, Howard K. Smith, and David Susskind specials are loaded with craftily camouflaged red and one-word messages. In many cases, they do not even try to employ camouflage. It is impossible in the limited space of this record to name all the message TV shows. But I will name a few that might serve to reawaken our slumbering people. Among them, we have The Invaders and Mission Impossible, the latter running at this very time. It is produced by Lucille Ball's Desilu, and The Defenders and East Side West Side that were driven off the TV screen three or four years ago. I mention these seemingly defunct shows not only because they were the worst of all, but at this point, for a far more important reason. Both are scheduled to be brought back this year. The TV moguls figure that by now the people have forgotten why they had been driven off the air. The Defenders was launched with great fanfare seven years ago. The pre-publicity about the series was intended to have us believe that two humanitarian lawyers had dedicated themselves to right the wrongs inflicted on innocent victims of vicious persecutions. Persecutions perpetrated not only by other men, but also by some of the inhumane laws in our Constitution. The two lawyers, the father and son team, were portrayed by E.G. Marshall and Robert Reed, two mediocre actors, but whom the TV moguls heralded as TV stars. In its first season, the Defenders played it safe. The messages in those early shows were very faint, hardly discernible to the unpracticed eye. There was a prime reason for that. The producers were making time until the show achieved prestige and high popularity. Each individual show was put together with high professional skill. It truly was excellent entertainment. And by the end of that first season, the Defenders was an eagerly awaited hour in the vast majority of American homes. In the second season, the producers became a bit bolder, but still not enough to stamp the brand of communism on the series as a whole. But in the third season, they threw all caution to the winds, each one more and more brazenly defending communists and communism each one attacking our laws and our way of life. As we know, the internationalist communist conspiracy has never relied on just one strategy to achieve its goal of one world conquest. 
To the contrary, they are continuously weaving a hundred different plots and pushing their attacks on a thousand different fronts. In its third season, the defenders employed that very same technique. Each week's show was devoted to an attack on a different phase. In short, by the end of that third season, the defenders became the theme song of the conspiracy. I will cite just one of the Defender shows in its third season to give you a clear picture. In that show, the chief character was a famous... And this is the series of TV shows that will once again be brought back into your living room. Now that you have forgotten about the communist sabotage in them. By the way, do you realize that we have a defenders organization in real life in our midst in the American Civil Liberties Union? Now to complete my revelation of what a horrible menace TV is to our country, to our people, and to your children, I will cite the East Side, West Side TV series of shows. Six years ago, CBS, inspired by the success of the Defenders, launched an outright Pity the Poor Negroes TV series, which they called East Side, West Side. This series was intended to serve as the TV conscience of the unconscionable American white people. Its hero was George C. Scott, portraying a frustrated social worker. Frustrated because ostensibly the white racists are so ruthless and so utterly unconscionable. According to one heart-bleeding newspaper critic, I quote, Scott and his camera went on field trips into all varieties of despair. And on two distinctly memorable occasions, it touched the very heart of Negro frustration. The episodes are shows entitled, Who Do You Kill? and No Place to Hide, were both as dramatically wrenching as they were sociologically exact. What is more, they were witnessed by 50 million people at home with their own consciences, unquote. The theme song of the entire series was a heart-beating protest against the vicious persecutions of the poor Negroes. They eulogized the whites who joined in the Negro agitation and so-called nonviolent demonstrations as humanitarians. That series of shows even provided alibis for all the Negro gangs who rode the New York subways and attacked and murdered white men, women, and children. According to those shows, all those gangs were composed of Negro youngsters ranging from 16 to 50. You lost me. The products of the sponsors of What's that East Side West Side TV show. And the stations bowed to their demands. The same thing happened oh, in to brainwash the people. in the Midwest and the Far West. The people forced their local stations to discontinue the... Oh, my God. This is how they 
got the imaging going on, and then they programmed the people, and then the people did it. The Chevy boy has oh been exposed God. as one of America's top liberals. Liberals being the word all reds used to camouflage their treason to our country. In 1949-50, Huntley was a newscaster and commentator on one of the Los Angeles radio stations. When we, CEG, launched our crusade to force the California legislature to rescind the United World Federalist Resolution, Huntley, aided by Irwin Cannon, editor of the Christian Science Monitor, launched a vicious attack on the Cinema Educational Guild and myself, claiming anti-Semitism for trying to destroy the peace movement of the UWF and the UN. That attack came at the behest of the Anti-Defamation League, best known as the ADL, whose hatchet man in Sacramento, the notorious Artie Samish, had masterminded the secret passage of that UWF resolution by the California legislature. The UDL made the mistake of proclaiming how our Chet Huntley did a great smear job on anti-Semite Fagan. The same loyal Americans who were supporting our fight for the rescission of the UWF resolution promptly got busy on all of Huntley's sponsors. They flooded them with our Red Star's tracks and bluntly warned them that they would boycott all their products as long as they would continue to sponsor Huntley. The panicked sponsors promptly canceled their sponsorship. That really frightened the heads of the broadcasting station and they quickly fired Mr. Huntley. For two years, Huntley was a gentleman of forced leisure. No other station in his Los Angeles area dared to give him a job, but the ADL did not completely abandon him. They waited until the furor died down, and then Huntley was rewarded with a job on NBC as a national broadcaster with Texaco as his chief sponsor. We promptly forwarded copies of our The Chet Huntley Story, which we had published in 1950, to both Texaco and NBC. Both ignored it. Thereupon, we revealed this new turn in The Chet Huntley Story in a special bulletin. Immediately, many of our Red Star tracks in the special bulletins began to pour into all the Texaco offices and service stations accompanied by warnings that all Texaco products would be boycotted if they continued to sponsor Huntley. Those protests came not only from individuals, but from the heads of large trucking companies. At first, Texaco ignored the protests, but as the warnings and rejected credit cards mounted in volume, the Texaco Public Relations Chief prepared a form letter in which he assured the protester that he and NBC had carefully examined Mr. Huntley's background and found that all of Fagan's allegations were false. That was a very stupid alibi, because every so-called allegation had been painstakingly documented in our special bulletin. Hence, instead of deluding the customers, it only heightened their fury. And more and more Red Star tracks and rejected credit cards kept pouring into all the technical offices of NBC. And then came the most shattering blow of all. 
the good and loyal American people in Shreveport, Louisiana, practically in a mass, plastered a boycott on every Texaco station in the city. That boycott practically put Texaco out of business in that area. Now, that should have brought the Texaco officials to their senses, but it didn't. The public relations department increased their attacks on CEG and Myron C. Fagan. NBC did likewise, and Chetty himself joined in the attack. He publicly proclaimed that he would enter libel suits against Fagan and everybody else who would dare to boycott Texaco. Of course, he never carried out his threats. Finally, I took the step that brought the whole matter to a head. I wrote a personal letter to the president of Texaco in which I called his attention to all of the Texaco form letters and the whole Huntley story. I also told him I was preparing another special bulletin in which I would reveal the entire Texaco Huntley NBC matter, that I would make that bulletin available to all the Texaco stockholders of which I had a list, and also to patriotic groups in various communities throughout the nation who might well see fit to follow the example set by the good people of Shreveport. That did it. I received a prompt reply in which the president assured me that he had been utterly unaware of the entire matter. He also informed me that there would be no more such actions by Texaco's public relations department. And far more important, that he would immediately cancel Texaco's sponsorship of Chet Huntley. And he did. And it was all due to the action of an awakened and an aroused people. Of course, what I have just stated is not the end of the Chet Huntley story. The ADL and CFR cannot afford to lose a TV tool as valuable as the Huntley Man. So they and the NBC promptly provided new sponsors for his program. But let me assure you, Huntley and his masters are not invulnerable. If you, if all loyal Americans, will continue to bear down on each succeeding sponsor as you bore down on Texaco, even NBC will finally conclude that Huntley is too virulent a case of smallpox for the entire network. Now here's my one and only reason for providing this record. I want to do what I can to alert all of the American people to what Hollywood and TV are doing to destroy our nation. It is now more than 10 years since the Congressional Committee has held an investigation of this cancer. Without such an investigation, there will be no front paging to again unmask the Red Conspiracy in Hollywood, in TV, in radio. As a result, our present growing generation doesn't even know what a cancer Hollywood and TV is. The only way to get them to know it the only way to reawaken the older generation is by way of this record and by our Red Star's tracks. It is the only way to make all of the American people know and realize that unless we drive all the Reds out of Hollywood and TV, unless we destroy this more dangerous than a hydrogen bomb instrument of the masterminds of the great conspiracy, it will destroy our nation. This record should be a must in the home of every loyal American. 
Your teenage children should hear this story. It should be played to groups of friends and neighbors in your homes, to study groups, women's clubs, American Legion and VFW posts. It should be played at all civic group meetings. It should be played to every Sunday school class for the enlightenment and alerting of your children. It should be played in every church to alert all the people. Now, earlier I stated that there's only one way to smash this red conspiracy in Hollywood, also in radio and TV, and that is through the pocketbook. Earlier I described how that 1947 congressional investigation forced a front-page reporting that drove the rest out of Hollywood. I also described how in 1950, after the people forgot and the Reds flocked back, we organized the picketing committees and circulated our Red Stars tracts nationwide and once again starved the box officers and forced another flight of the Reds. We did it again in 1953. But since then, there has been no congressional investigation, no front-page revelation. The people once again forgot, and all the Reds are back in Hollywood again. But that very same technique will work fully as well today as it did in 1953. It will again force Congress to investigate. It will once again force the press to front-page such an investigation. It will once again close all theaters that are again showing red stars and red propaganda films. It will once again drive all the reds off the screen. So I earnestly urge all of you who hear this I'm record to picketing groups uh, in your community. Picketing just two or three theaters will create front-page publicity that will alert your entire community. Also, serve notice on your local theater managers that you will not only not patronize their theaters if they show just one red propaganda film or a red star film or any un-American film, but that you and your neighbors will picket the theater and thus create a general boycott by all the loyal Americans in your community. Meanwhile, distribute copies of our Red Star's tracts throughout your community to show the people what stars, writers, directors, and producers are documented reds and should be boycotted. That technique did a great job once. It drove Charlie Chaplin out of our country. It drove all the reds off the screen. It can and will do it again with your help. Get a red star tracked into the hands of everybody in your community. Believe me, if just a dozen theater patrons serve such a warning on their local theater owner, that theater owner will become a 20th century Patrick Henry in his choice of the films he will show. Remember, the salvation of our country is at stake. The futures of your children and grandchildren are at stake. Get the story in this record told throughout the nation. And be sure to tell it to your theater owner. Do it for the love of God, of our beloved country, and for the salvation of your children. Some of the most stubborn sponsors we have encountered are Texaco, Timex, General Electric, Pestident, 
Beaver Brothers, and the Ford Motor Company, among others. But now let me show you how you, the people, once aroused, cured Ford Motor Company, undoubtedly the most rabid and the most brazen of all of them. That last charge about Ford should not be surprising in view of the general reputation of the Ford Foundation and its notorious offshoot, the Fund for the Republic. In efforts to offset the stench of that fund and the resultant damage to his business, Henry Ford, grandson of the founder, who truly was a fine and loyal American, made many pretty speeches in which he willingly deplored the activities of the Fund for the Republic. He continually stressed that he and the Ford Foundation never at any time had any control over Wonderboy Hutchins and that other renegade, Paul Hoffman. But he never explained why he made Hoffman his administrator of the Ford Foundation in the first place, nor why, after that facsimile of Alger Hiss became too hot for the Foundation, he gave him and his Wonderboy Hutchins $15 million without any strings tied to the grant so that they could set up the fund for the Republic and continue their efforts to destroy the United States. Now I shall completely unmask Mr. Ford by revealing his direct collaboration with the Red Conspiracy in TV by citing the Sunday Night Ed Sullivan Show as a concrete example. For many years, Ed Sullivan was a columnist of the Walter Winchell Strife on the New York Daily News. His column was syndicated and published by many newspapers all over the country. Shortly after my book, Red Priest in Hollywood, was published in 1949, Sullivan reviewed it in his column and eulogized it as a great work for the salvation of our country. He blasted all the Red Stars named in the book. The same Reds named in our Red Stars tract, and urged all his readers to get the book which he described as a Bible for those who want the truth about the Red Conspiracy in Hollywood. He stressed that the author's background in the theater gave the book an authenticity that no outside writer could provide, and many thousands of his readers followed his advice promptly bought the book and joined in the fight to drive the Reds out of Hollywood. That created a panic. The masterminds of the conspiracy have to find a way to present any additional eulogies in the Sullivan column. Thus, shortly after that incident, the Ford Motor Corporation offered to sponsor a Sunday night hour-long TV show for Sullivan with certain provisos. Ed had always been state-struck. He easily accepted the offer, and from its inception, the Ed Sullivan Show was a haven for all the Reds in the entertainment world, particularly the exposed Hollywood Reds. Throughout the following years, virtually every one of his shows starred one, two, and even as many as six of the Red Stars listed in Red Trees in Hollywood. And in our Red Stars class, the very stars he had blasted in his column. Not satisfied with that, his column now carried vitriolic attacks on the vicious people who had created a blacklist against poor defenseless actors such as Catherine Hepburn, Orson Welles, 
Eddie Robinson and various others listed in our Red Star's class. And then he topped that off with a column in which he appealed to that great, wonderful, powerful anti-defamation league to help him restore those persecuted stars to public favor and jobs in Hollywood and TV. The very same words he had previously blasted. We, C.G. promptly issued a special bulletin in which we unmasked the entire Ford Motor Ed Sullivan plot. Immediately thousands, hundreds of thousands of our Red Star's tracks together with that bulletin began pouring into all the Ford Motor agencies all over the country. The owners of the agencies forwarded all the complaints that poured in on them to Detroit. Ford's public relations department prepared a form letter in which they explained that they had no control of Sullivan's choice of stars for his shows. And they gave similar excuses for the employment of Reds and other Ford-sponsored TV shows. This continued for several years, but it did not turn the trick. More and more people began to boycott the Ford products. Finally, the desperate Ford agency owners met in a special convention in Chicago and carried notice on Ford that unless he would do something to cure the situation, they would be forced to close their agencies. That did it. Immediately, the Ford company announced cancellation of their sponsorship of the Ed Sullivan Show. And simultaneously, Sullivan let it become known that there would be no more red stars on his shows. That shows how the people can cure even the most stubborn of renegade sponsors and TV producers. However, don't let that induce you to scratch Ford Motors off your list of red conspiracy collaborators. Because from the very inception of the Negro agitations and street demonstrations, the Ford Foundation has continuously financed the Negro rioting organizations and the Reverend Martin Lucifer Kings and other leaders of those so-called nonviolent demonstrations. There is another vital reason for not scratching Ford Motors off that list. In Santa Barbara, there is an outfit that calls itself the Center for the Study of Democratic Institutions. It is headed by the notorious Wonderboy Hutchins, and it is frequently referred to as Moscow West, because practically every red operation in this country is first studied and perfected at this Santa Barbara Center. Ford Motors provided this outfit with $15 million and such additional funds that they require from time to time. By the same token, don't scratch the Ed Sullivan TV show off your list of red collaborators. The masterminds of the conspiracy do not dare to abandon Sullivan. He might squeal, you know, so they have to continue supporting his shows by providing other sponsors. And although Sullivan has not been starring the Reds listed in our tracks since that incident, it does not mean that he won't again take up that practice as soon as he and his masters feel it is safe to do so.
Now, do I have to pay this price that TV is the most vicious and most dangerous menace to the safety and security of our nation? Radio reaches the ear. The press reaches the eye. The TV reaches both the eyes and the ears of every member of your family. It sugarcoats its propaganda with fascinating entertainment. It educates our youth to view patriotism and loyalty to parents with contempt and even hatred. It imbues them with love of one-worldism and hatred of nationalism. It inspires them to support and join with the communist conspiracy, inspired Negroes in their efforts to destroy the solidarity of our people, and thus advance the internationalist conspiracy to destroy our nation. Moral were they, TV, don't stop with our youth. They demean, bewilder, and confuse the unaware adults as well. They do it with fascinating stories, carefully camouflaged, that hypnotize the eye and delight the ear of both young and old. That is why TV is the most terrifying menace of all our mass communications media. That is why TV is the most powerful of all the conspiracy instruments for our destruction. That is why I say that all the renegade TV moguls should be arrested, tried, and properly punished for the subversion and treason they pipe into our living rooms. They are operating fearlessly and brazenly under the theory that they are protected by the constitutional right of free speech but I am sure that proper congressional action will establish that the creators of our Constitution never intended to have freedom of speech permit and protect subversion and treason. However, until Congress does take such action, the most important thing for us to remember and never forget is that we, the people, have in our hands the complete means to utterly smash the red conspiracy in TV. The fate of East Side, West Side is the undeniable proof of that fact. The same people who hold that series off the air and put TBS more than $2 million in the red can do the same to any red starred and red propaganda TV shows. The same people who forced the hundreds of local TV stations to cancel the East Side, West Side series can do it again and again and again. You have the ammunition with which to do it. Our Red Stars tracked and this record can do a perfect job if all of us will concentrate on it. As you join in this fight to clean TV of the Red Renegades, Remember this, the box office was and is the Achilles heel of Hollywood. When the people began to shun the theaters that continued to show the red stars, it spelled the end of the red conspiracy in Hollywood. That smashed the backbone of the conspiracy. Until recent years when the people began to forget and the reds came pouring back. By that same token, as soon as the people will boycott the products of all the renegade sponsors who employ red, it will spell the end. Smash the backbone of the red conspiracy 
in TV and radio. The local Ford dealer is the Achilles heel of the Ford Motor Corporation. The local supermarket is the Achilles heel of a Procter and Gamble, of a Kraft, a Borden, a Heinz. The local appliance of the utilities dealer is the Achilles heel of a General Electric and a Westinghouse. The corner drugstore is the Achilles heel of a Testament, of a Bristol Myers, of a Lever Brothers. In short, if we, the people, tell the sponsors and their dealers in no uncertain language that if they will bring reds and anti-American propaganda of any kind into our living rooms, we will rigidly boycott their products, every such sponsor will quickly become a loyal American. You have the proof of it in Texaco alone. In this fight, our housewives can be our greatest force. If just a dozen housewives notify their supermarkets that they will transfer their marketing to another merchant, if they continue to sell products of a sponsor who employs red, that supermarket owner will promptly cease carrying such products on his shelves. You have all the ammunition you need, and the Red Star's cracked and this record. Watch your TV shows. You will quickly spot the reds in them if you will have a red size cracked in your hands. For the love of God and country, fellow Americans, take it from here. It is your country and your children that you will be saving. I know what the point is. Uh, of why uh, of why they wanted the television shows on showing uh, black people doing all these things. It was programming to show and depict a behavior and then to, um, through policies and through uh, the way that the system in, I guess, the hood is created, then um, they've, they're creating a system where the people have very little options and very little choice, and then they are um, rewarding certain behavior um, by choosing the images that they show through the television propaganda, and then mostly the people, the, the black indigenous that have been lied to about who they are, where they're from, and all this kind of stuff, all this, you know, ideology talking about, you know, the bell curve and all that kind of stuff. They don't even know that black people invented everything. I mean, I hate to say that. We were the original people on the earth and we had great accomplishments and they created the whole transatlantic slave trade to try to hide it. So the reason why the bankers had to create the propaganda to uh, make the people in the hood think that uh, they are of a reprobate mind, stupid, or, you know, have some kind of like behavioral problems and, uh, you know, morally uh, inept. All of that is a smear campaign because we were the most conscious people on 
the planet. The most conscious people on the planet. And we are not the ones that are destroying this earth. We got into the genetic splicing and all the stuff that they're doing now. And the Heavenly Father took over, took the blessing that he placed on the original Hebrews. He took it off of us and gave it to the creation that was spliced as a punishment for worshiping, you know, themselves, their own knowledge, um, their own creations, uh, their own, you know, whatever it is that they wanted to worship over him. They lost it. And so the DNA of these people that are the original indigenous people, they are blocking that sun because they do not want the black people and that junk DNA that they keep talking about to activate their freaking super brains and a whole lot of other abilities and access to senses that they have, like the X-Men, like Superman, the wisdom of the serpents. So that's why the smear campaign on black people and the heavy behavioral programming and this whole, you know, the patterns that are very easy, easy for black people to fall into. You know, my dad watched Richard Pryor, one of the most brilliant minds, comedic minds, whatever. And, you know, he wasn't, I don't think he was all, I didn't know, I didn't know, haven't known my dad all his life. But I know that he emulates Richard Pryor a lot. And the cursing, the, you know, all this kind of stuff. He's copying it because he always wanted to be a comedian. So what I'm showing you is that charismatic people, they will choose charismatic people and they will choose narratives in the storytelling to literally give us scenarios and scripts by which when you're young and you're looking, you're looking for yourself, you're, you're looking to see what you can accomplish, you're looking what you can be, you're looking to see your reflection, they created that. And then all of a sudden, it's just like black people always talk to normal. Everybody talk normal. Everybody talk normal. In the 80s, everyone spoke normal English. And then suddenly in the 90s, it went back to not even supposedly Kunta Kente. It went to just a, a, a version of Ebonics that just is just will boggle the mind. And that all came about through them hijacking rap music. Hip hop originally was for the edification of black people and to uplift them and to actually return to higher consciousness, which they always had. And to overwrite the script. And they were using poetry, percussive poetry to do that because that's what indigenous people do. And it was too powerful because it's one of those things like that rhythm, you know, the, the poetry, all of that. Black people are very uh, amenable to that. And we're very, very, we change very, very quickly. We change very, that we adapt very quickly. We create trends very quickly. And so 
hip-hop was weaponized into gangster rap so that they could get these people killing each other and then that these gangs shoot each other, then they can easily just get all these people's, black people's organs and sell it and do whatever they want. And black people just never caught on. And, you know, they got the uh, house Negro syndrome where they got people uh, policing it, where if somebody does speak English, if somebody is about achievement, then you're going to be harassed. You're going to be harassed by your own people. And then you're going to be harassed by anyone else that feels you're being uppity. And so one of the reasons I was a latecomer to rap because my first thing was classical, but I always grew up with it because that's my generation. But I will tell you something. Um, I was always doing like oratory and poetry and spoken word, but never really, you know, tackling anything else. Anyway, what I was going to say about that is now I see this is how they've got the minds of black grandmothers Black grandmothers would never deal with anybody like R. Kelly. They, they, the, the movies like Medea that get financed. Why of all the people that could get financing for movies, those are the images that they want to have of the black grandmother who was the most dignified and the most spiritual in the United States. The black woman that founded the Christian church is and was and always will be the most spiritual in this country. The mammies. Oh, yes. The mammies that reared the children. So when you see a movie like Medea, they are on purpose defiling that. They are defiling that. This is how they get into people's minds and destroy people from the inside with these films, with these roles. I'm telling you what happened to me when I got out of school. I'm telling you how demoralizing every single role, completely less than the filth of the living earth. And I'm a person that has to connect with whatever I do. I have to be honest and tell the truth through whatever I'm doing. So I would have some part of me would have to connect with these experiences that were not a part of my life because my mother worked hard and gave me so much that I would not have to have that be a part of my life and my experience. And so I had to I had to to become part of that in order to do these roles and I didn't want to offer that because we've seen enough of that. And I wanted something else. And they did not want that image. And let me tell you, the black bourgeoisie also did not want that image that you have a generation of people that will sell out their people. They will sell their people down the drain. And all I say to that is that we have to get back to human beings without all of this identity politics that is just totally how we regard each other. Um, you know, the way that this guy who was, you know, supposedly, you know, we had some kind of crush on each other or whatever, but he was able to, without my knowledge, go through my Rolodex and find acquaintances that I knew 
and interview them about me, not knowing that they're haters and competitors and taking every word that they said, people that competed with me and were angry that I beat them at a lot of things. And I'm not bragging. I'm trying to tell you that if you have people that compete against you, they don't like you. And if you think that they're going to say great things to get you any kind of special uh, promotion, they're not. Okay. And so this person made decisions that affected my whole life off of what haters said. Off of what people that were trying to stop me said. And, and what do I want to say to this about you is that it's not about me. I'm saying to you, anyone, that anyone talks bad about somebody to you, always look at the person that's doing that. Because there's a reason why that they're doing that. You know, and I always, and I can feel confident about this. Anytime anybody talks bad about me to somebody, I never let that just color my opinion. I never take their word for it. I'm like, why did they say that about that person? And I do a full investigation before I come to my conclusion that, yeah, they're like that or no, they're not like that. And now what we have to understand is the power that they are going to have. First of all, the nepotism. If you saw in the 90s how all of these people just got jobs. I have been saying this for two years for two years, as you all did your, your humiliation campaign, and now you're mad at me that I took on the rapper, uh, the rapper swag that I'm using to because I'm dealing with somebody that obviously hates me. My ex is jealous. And he only understands rapper talk. Because that's who he is and that's the music that he writes. And so I talk to him and yeah, I will talk and, and throw my swag and throw my confidence right in his face until he chokes. You are not supposed to be privy to my personal conversations. And then you're judging me because I'm not happy about you illegally spying on me. And then taking what I say out of context, if I'm throwing something in his face because he's trying to fat shame me or put me down because I don't have money in my bank account because he stole it or stopped me from making it. I have every right to throw my achievements in his freaking face. But you all don't have the compassion to understand why I might need a little momentum to stop his uh, mental battery every day, all damn day. You don't understand it. And then you're so upset if I raise my voice. And what if I was your child? What if I was your child? And that what happened to me happened to your child and they killed you off like they murdered my mother. What if that was your child? What would you want for that child to do? How, how would you, you think you would want your kid constantly swallowing it and not standing up and handing their oppressors their natural ass? You would want them to fight back. 
and maybe it's too much of a headache for you and you never want to hear anything that I have to say until the truth comes out. What I told you a year ago, six months ago, two years ago, when I tell you about things, try to pull your coat and say, wake it up. You're being lied to wake it up. You're being played. Wake it up. They're doing this. They're there. It's unfair. You don't want to get upset about, oh, you're just, she's so upset. Why is she so upset? Oh, why she, she's always doing, working on the story. Why is she always working on, I'm working for you. And you don't realize it. I have every right to throw everything that I can do in the face of people that wrote me off and took my mother from me. Every single day I live to shove it in their face until their eyeballs fall out of their heads. I'm not trying to do that to the public or to my audience. I am not a narcissist. Nor am I full of myself. I never was. If I was, I could have just taken the easy way out and bent over like Camilla Harris and had people kissing my butt forever in a day. But I didn't do that. I chose to serve the Lord. And this is how the people of God, supposedly, this is how they treat people that do the right thing. When it gets hard, you don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear about anybody that had it hard until you find out that your kid can't get into the school that they want to get into because the Satanist has their place. It's bigger than race. White people need to get out of that, thinking that every black or every minority person didn't get there because they have their own talent or their own brains. There are plenty of us that are smart as shit, talented and capable. And you don't know what the intimidation game is like when you are a minority and you are good. You don't have a clue what that experience is. You don't have a clue. And you don't realize that your white self is being moved aside for transgender Satanists of all races. They're pumping them out of the cloning center left and right. Just pick the Lori Laughlin, whoever that daughter is, look like this straight from the cloning center. Both males straight from the cloning center and they get placed, automatically placed in positions of power to rule over the sheep. And you didn't, none of you did any investigations after when I told you what happened to me. But now it's all coming out. And now you're going to believe it. If Q, if Q reports what I told you two years ago, always later than what I already told you, then you can see it. You don't see how programmed you are. You better stop being a respecter of persons because some of the people that you think are white are not, meaning we don't even know who the hell we're looking at. That person could be green for all you know. That person could be a computer inside for all you know. That person could have been George W. Bush that died and put himself in uh, 
Kamala Harris's body and is now a freak. You don't know. You people need to stop with the, oh, this person is black and they're like this. This person is, oh, that person's white. I'm going to listen to them and they're going to, they're, they're white and we're going to follow everything that they say because they, because they're white and they're patriot, they're like us. And you don't understand that that person could have been any other race. They can switch people's consciousness now. And they're doing it. And you need to wake it the hell up that they can do it. They can literally come into somebody just like they showed Professor X and the X-Men and literally hijack people's bodies. They can do it of any color. That's exactly what happened with all these shooters that we're looking at. You better stop respecting people based on uh, stereotypical narratives that you've been programmed by media and entertainment all your life. You better stop it. Just because somebody looks like you does not mean that they have your best interest at heart. And didn't black people get that smack in the face with Obama? Not everyone you think is white is white. It could be an, it could be an extraterrestrial. You don't know who you're looking at. You could be looking at an actor on TV. You could, you could be looking at Mila Kunis playing a black girl, playing Hernandez's girlfriend with makeup on in the Snapchat and the voice decoder. And you're thinking that that's black girls. You people better stop. You're looking at fake people and fake situations and you're making decisions on your family's lives and everybody else's life. On the earth, because if we don't do anything as a collective, nothing's going to get done. It's going to be a big fat failure. And you keep thinking that you're going to save it through politics, through through uh, voting things and and through different political figures. You don't get it that that game is over. This is now a procrastination game until they just roll out 5G, roll out the robots, roll out the super soldiers. That's what the hell they're doing is just buying time, keeping you sitting on your ass, not doing anything. And then I don't know what the hell is going on in Europe and neither do we. They could tell us Minnie Q Mouse showed up and, and wore a green apron and started kicking people's butts and, and we're supposed to jump up and down. We can't believe anything in the media and they've doubled down on the BS all of a sudden. We're just finding out that these people are paying to play. We knew they were paying to play. That's how they all, they get to run for governor. They get to run for this, run for that. They got the money to do it. And their parents are connected enough to put the money behind them to get it. And if you think Joe Schmo, whether you're white, Asian, whatever the hell, if you're a regular, normal person, and you think you're going to outdo a transgender in the class or in a position or in a job and you think you're going to be somewhere, you need to get the smelling salts because you're already completely incapacitated. Patriotism has no color. And unfortunately, neither does cowardice. We are doing a damn thing. 
and I'm not, I'm not telling you to, I'm not, actually right now I'm just pissed off. And I mean, I, if I, if I didn't have this radio show, I'd be thinking this in my head and I know you're already in my head. I'm like, well, shit, if you can already hear it, why can't I just say it? It'll make me feel better. Cause I'm tired of these stupid people pretending that the reality isn't the reality. And then they want to complain about how bad it is. You better wake your asses up. You still think it's about black and white. And you don't understand. You still think it's about Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel is a litmus test. To show you that what they did that for is to show you that your boycott is bogus. That they can overrule you. And that is so that you will feel defeated and that you don't have power. They don't care about the money anymore. They can print more money. What they care about is mind effing you. S-R-A. You all better wake it the hell up. It's not about me. But it's all about me because you're seeing exactly what is coming for you next. You better be able to stand with somebody. You better try to understand and empathize with somebody and know that if this happened to you, what happened to me? If this happened to your kid and you knew your kid was good at something and your kid kept being put behind And they were messing, trying to mess with their confidence, trying to mess all these kind of games and professional and all kinds of stuff and even stealing from people's bank accounts. If that happened to your kid and you couldn't you couldn't report it to anybody and nobody would believe you and who would help you, what would you do? But yet you have no compassion to understand why I would be frustrated. What would you do in my shoes? Who would you tell? What can your family do about it? White people in this country have never been subject to the unfairness. And I know you may be like, oh, cry me a river, wine, wine, wine. You don't know what it's like to be dehumanized possibly every hour of the day and mischaracterized. You don't know what that is. And the people that are that are for the New World Order and everything and all of that, they don't care about your whiteness anymore. They're pretending that they care. Now they're pretending that they care. But after they do away with minorities, they're doing away with humankind, period. Do you understand that? So while you may feel great that you're not feeling it yet, it hasn't hit your community yet. You may see others rounded up before yourselves and you feel, well, oh, well, at least it's not us. You don't understand that whoever is against humanity, they don't like no humans. They don't like any humans get it in your head that the people that serve the evil forces on the earth don't like any humans of any color. Understand that. 
Their game is short. They've played the long game for a long time. Crazio is talking about 24-25. That's five years. I saw on You Were Free, it says time is running out. And and I see uh, the only thing I see written in her comment section, which is a lot of it is just bots that are just, you know, trying to say how great she is. So people, you know, feel this kind of comfort in, oh, these people are comforted by her. Oh, this whole I'm also comforted by her because I'm that stupid. I'm saying she has a good good broadcast. I'm not saying that it's not, but I'm saying that all these comment sections on all these videos, when they're big upping the person half the time, it is a bot. So that you say, oh, oh, this person likes it. Oh, a lot of people are saying the same thing. So I also, I also agree with that. And my opinion, your opinion is affected, whether you know it or not, by other people's opinion. And what I saw in that comment, nothing I saw in that comment section was woke. Nothing I saw in that comment section was like, oh, we should do this. Oh, we could do that. Very few a real leading to any kind of point of view. And that's because they're erasing it. I my I wrote a comment and it was erased. I know that they're there, you know, there's an FBI van outside my house probably. So they they probably up on everything that I do, but their censorship is has been happening and we just Captain Marvel just slapped the snot out of us to realize the level of censorship that is just as of Captain Marvel is here. That they are going to be able to totally defy the reality of this. A movie could be absolutely horrible. Somebody could be a horrible actress and they will just keep giving this person awards. They will just keep putting them on the news, uh, magazines, newspapers. They will completely keep playing a song of this artist and telling you this artist is the greatest thing since toast. And they don't care if you buy their record. They don't care if you go to the movies. They are going to make these people stars regardless They want them to be your idol without your choices, not in the matter. Your conversation is only going to be about who they report about. They create the narrative by what they allow in your feed. So you can, you can think you're doing something to me. Because I'm telling my ex off and so you want to feel like I'm conceited because I don't have the right to tell him he can kiss my natural ass. I have that right. And I'm, I'm not saying that to you. I'm not bragging for you. This is my private phone. This is my private room. You are eavesdropping. You don't have a right to characterize me by fights that I have with my ex. Get the hell out of here. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I don't have anybody on my side, but my father in heaven. That's all I have is my faith. I don't have none of you. You can't support anybody. What would you do if you were in my shoes? Nobody can handle anything. 
Nobody can handle hearing anything tough. Then you are not ready for this new world. No. <laughs> Come on. That's not the way things go. No. That's a, that's a mess. This part too. Elvis got into his bathroom Stop and was watching it. him no. shower. No, no. Then he was waiting for him. <laughs> he didn't even flush the toilet yet. And he was down Come there on. with his pants. Well, he thought he they could were, get his pants they were back doing on, their, but he didn't get them they back were doing on whatever they were No, doing. they were not. And then all he of a sudden, the, the security guard came in and Why he was like, Why are you making up a what? story? This ain't Choose Your Own Adventure. Press play. That's the same story. Play. Come on. No, I already heard that one. Oh, wait, no. He said she, he said he was playing guitar. That's the second part of the story. No, it's not. It's not? No. Oh. He's talking about Elf. Go ahead. I You're gonna get up and sad at this one? For all the people that you know who are in jail? No. <laughs> I don't know anybody in jail. Oh, Jason? Oh, it's Kitty Cat. Kitty Cat. Don't ask me why. In jail, Zom. I don't want to see Elvis. I said I wanted to hear him. 
talk, Jules talks about Elvis. But just watch this. Why are you liking it? The song is, is a homosexual song. <laughs> really? So watch. What? Watch. Who doesn't know that? It's funny. These are all. Because like, they're in jail. Yeah, just watch. Nobody would dance like that in a jail. Yeah, to go to the bathroom. Yeah, but that wouldn't be smart to dance like that in a jail. Look at them. They all look like they're in the towel. <clears throat> Where did they get the trumpets from? always said when he started playing his legs started to move and he couldn't help it yeah. it was the same with you wasn't it same thing with elvis i think you know we saw it in um, gospel 
churches yeah. Yeah, where he was from. And he asked me when I, when I met him, <coughs> excuse me, in, in 65, you know, he said, how do you say like that? Where do, you, where, do you, where do you get it from? I said, well, you know, listening to people like you. Right, because he, he was your idol, and then you got to come out to Hollywood and meet him for the first time. Yeah. What was, what was that moment like when you're meeting your idol for the first time, Elvis yeah. Presley? What it was in um, 65, the first, yeah. first year that I was in uh, the business, and um, the uh, TV had gone to color yeah. when I was doing Ed Sullivan show, a lot of Ed Sullivan shows. So we had to come out to Los Angeles because they couldn't transmit in color from New York. Yeah. So, um, so I came to LA and they said, Elvis, I went to Paramount Studios to talk about a song for a film. And they said, Elvis Presley is here today, and he'd like to say hello. Wow. So, God, you know, it was only a few months in, in the business. So anyway, so I went onto this set, and he was in a, a mock helicopter. A fake helicopter. Yeah, a fake helicopter. So we got out of there, and he was walking towards me, and I had a, a song out at the time called With These Hands. It was a third single. And he was singing With These Hands. You know, he was walking towards me going, With These Hands. You know, like this. So, and you guys became friends. Yeah, yeah. Good friends. He tried to pitch you a song. He, had, he yeah. Someone had approached him with a song, and he said, I think it's not right for me, but it would be great for Tom. And then yes. he kept bugging you, you got to record this song. Is that right? Uh, yes. <coughs> he, he, um, he was at the Hilton yeah. in, in Las Vegas, and I was at Caesar's Palace. So he came, he used to stay on, you know, because we used to do a month at a time each, and we'd overlap. So if he had finished his month, he would stay uh, to watch me. Right. And uh, so he would come to the show most nights. And this one time, he had this song uh, that somebody had tried to pitch to him. So he came over and he was like in the wing. And when I came off the stage, he said, Tom, I got this song, man. And I said, well, yeah, I got to jump in the shower. Now, but just, you know. Right, just off stage. You yeah, yeah, exactly. So he said, I got this song. I said, yeah, yeah. So I, I got in the shower and I was washing my hair and I hear, No, stop so when it. I got the soap out of my eyes, he was over the, the shower door. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the shower head was here. <laughs> he just, he's just peeking over? He was there. All over. A loofah in his hand. So there he was, right, you know, yeah, like yeah. this. And I, my God, I said, obviously, you know, I'll be right there. So Give me a second here, yeah, just like, can I just, and he said, yeah. But he was singing all the time, yeah. you know. Yeah. So then when I, when, I, when I got out of the shower, I realized that he'd been to the toilet. What? Yes, in, in my bathroom. While I, was, while, I was, while I was in the shower, you know, he was, you know, whatever. And uh, so, what you, can, you can have two choices, Tom. You <laughs> should have saved it. Oh, no. All right. Singing a song to you. To me, yes. 
trying to tower down, and Elvis is singing, and I'm, you know, towering down. And then, of course, I said, Elvis, you know, your, your pants, huh? I said, your pants? What? I, your pants? And he went, Red! You know, because he used to have a bodyguard called Red. Yeah, like, I, I know. Red, Red West. West. Red yeah. West. Red West. Exactly. Sure. So Red busts through the door thinking there's something wrong. And he said, what, what, what? And he said, my pants, man. My pants. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, they were tight. The full of shit. That's how tight he, he, he got caught. No. By the fucking. <laughs> they got caught and he's trying to come up with that. You need to stop. Oh, there was something else. You can leave your hat on. Because they saw me take my. Take my. Uh, Thor rig off. Get out of here. You can chew my toe down. Elvis. 
Maybe Ed should go to Daniel Badafuco. Oh, do you do you think that? I think he probably took that money down and he lost it. Do Do you think that he got the money and that's why he's drunk? Oh God, I hope that's not the case. Oh. So that's where his money goes. That's a shame. Egyptian stonemasons cut the Sphinx from limestone bed. Egyptian stonemasons, of course, you just tell secret out. It's built by the damn Freemasons. Of course, that's what they do. No doubt about it. These pyramids are Giza. And this fucking shit right here is all for the devil work. 100% I'm tell you. It's Asian history. It's garbage. 100% in rock more than 4,000 years ago. Yeah, of course, they know all along it's there, but they never can tell you who built it. That in itself tell you that it is a fucking fake. You can tell, you can know all along it's there. You can tell every details about it. The only one thing you can tell is how the fuck it get there. Get out of here. Bullshit. Most likely to honor the great pharaoh Khafre. Historians believe the human features of the Sphinx are a direct likeness of the Pharaoh himself. 
But over thousands of years, the harsh desert wind has sent... Have knocked his nose off. ...blasted Kafre's carved features away. It's really Michael Jackson, Earth. 100% bullshit. And I tell you, if the sand blasts, if you have a sand blast, it's more gonna dig off the edge. You get it? The edge is more vulnerable. Nobody can fool me on this job. I'd right here. You hear me? If it's sunblast, the first thing you're gonna blast off is the damn edge. Not the nose and the mouth and all of this. This is trash right here. Of course it's garbage. Leaving just a few tantalizing clues Bullshit. as to how the sculpture originally looked. We just can't figure it out. We just don't know. Oh wait. It still looks like a black person. Do it again. Send it back. Show you this and tell you they discovered it. When I say recent, I mean just the other day. Of course, they're tricking the dog. The only reason these things look black is because they're made out of sand and dirt. And it's dark. And that's why they look black. Or other they'd be white. People all the way in. Based on other statues at the time, this is what the nose may have looked like. Based on other statues at the same time. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Stone fragments found between the paws mm -hmm. are clues that the Sphinx fucking fake. Yes, piece of the piece of the damn beard you find between the paws. <laughs> wow, get out of here. Mm -hmm. And a beard. Mm -hmm. Traces of paint behind the ears mm -hmm. could mean that it used to wear heavy makeup. Mm -hmm. used to wear <laughs> heavy Why would makeup. a Sphinx wear heavy makeup? So the heavy makeup was on the statue. Mm-hmm. Garbage, dumb check. And what looks like hair mm -hmm. is actually a regal headdress. Framing the immortal face of the God King Khafre himself. The God King Khafre, I already told you what it is. Satanic people's right here in plain sight. And they like to worship monuments. That's what it is. Statues and monuments. That's what they worship. As idols. But one here. big question remains unanswered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why did Khafre put his face mm -hmm. on the body of a lion? Didn't RFG already everything you see drawn out in the pyramid of Giza? What you see? Don't make me post it again. To show your man body with dog heads on it. Of course, that's all they do it. They're basically mocking the people with their damn black magic. Of course, that's what they're doing in there. All of it point to the same black magic that they're doing on the masses. The ancient world had never seen an animal-human hybrid quite like it before. Mm -hmm. Usually, statues in ancient Egypt are comprising a human body with an animal head. So they're usually that way round, rather than in the case of the Sphinx, where we've got a lion's body with Khafre's human head on top. First of all, y'all the one who so-called Decide that it was him. Make it up in your head and say, yes, it's him. And slap the head on and then here you go say, why did he slap the head on the body? Do you discover that it was him for sure? Okay, right. Egyptologist Lydia McKnight believes cats had special religious meaning to the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. And that perhaps Khafre put his head Nothing on <laughs> wow, you know a lion to impress his cat-mad people. Lydia looks for evidence of this cat obsession in tiny mummies like this. Tiny mummies. Wow. I told you, people, your brain is tiny. You believe in this garbage right here. You believe it? They got some tiny 
mummy pieces right here they're wrapping out wow wow commonly unearthed wow. in egyptian digs we've brought a mummified animal from manchester mummified animal. museum's collections because we believe it to be the mummy of the cat today lydia wants to confirm the contents of this tightly wrapped package and get some idea of how the animal died she wants to know if the death was natural or if the egyptians were killing animals to order we brought it here today to use non-invasive radiographic methods that are usually used to scan living patients um, just to check what's going on on the inside in a non-destructive way first lydia needs to check it first lydia needs to check if it really is a cat inside the ancient dressings she hunts for telltale signs that the skeleton is feline usually we identify a cat from the skull and the teeth so the shape of the skull the teeth and the, the limbo so the legs so we... animal, you can figure it out that it's a cat okay. got what appears to be four limbs in the position we would expect to find them the ancient skull of this specimen is badly damaged but the legs are intact and folded up underneath the body you can see quite nicely the, the paws here so this... Believe these people? can you see a cat right here or what can you can you see a cat in this right here that they're showing the masses wow in this thousand year time period so we really are looking at a massive scale industry they must be giving these degrees out like, you know, tickets to American Idol in California. Because these people can't be doctors with any kind of integrity telling these lies. Kafre ordered the construction of the biggest statue in Egyptian history. No buildings around, no house, no nothing but to build this big old shit right here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You better wake your ass up feeling all of this shit. You're in a world of hurt. You're in a world of hurt. But there was a problem. No animal carving this big had ever been attempted before. To achieve it, Mark Lehner thinks the Egyptian craftsman must have learned how to exploit the natural layers of the rock. The man and just fill up this shit right here. A monument with these pyramids right here. Can't live in there now. No, it's bullcrap. 100% and more. Let me see. Going on for a minute. Two minutes to be exact. That's ridiculous. Everybody knows. These lies. I mean, every time you turn on TV, this is what it is. They're lying to their teeth. What's good? A lot of people were saying that it was Anubis. It's not Anubis. Because a jackal's tail is not that long and uh, has way more fur on it. You see what I'm saying? That was not, a, uh, it was not a canine's tail, ladies and gentlemen. So the Sphinx, you know what I'm saying, by its name and by its image, especially its tail is stating that it is a feline okay it is it is a uh it is a lion okay as we all know kemet was the child of ethiopia a lot of people failed to realize that ethiopia was the child to sumeria okay so when babylon fell and the sumerians traveled um 
from uh from from Asia to Africa, okay, they went into Ethiopia. Then they built their they built their pyramids in Ethiopia. And when they got into Egypt, you know, a few thousand years later, the pyramids and the Sphinx were already there. I'm gonna repeat that. This was this was over six and a half thousand years ago when Babylon fell and the Sumerians went from Sumeria to Ethiopia. When they went to uh, from Ethiopia to Kemet, that was about 5,500 years ago. That was about 5,500 years ago. When they went to Egypt 5,500 years ago, the pyramids and the Sphinx were already there. Then let me tell you what the lying ass Egyptologists uh, said. They said that the pyramids and the Sphinx were used as the Pharaoh's tombs. False. No tombs found whatsoever in or around the pyramids, in or around the Sphinx. Not for the Pharaoh's tombs. False, false, false. Okay? Then they tried to say that the Sphinx was built for the Pharaoh Khufu. So these Egyptologists hired the, uh, the world's most profound um, face detective from the uh, CIA. I think he was for some kind of detective from the CIA. And all he did for 30 years was match people's faces up and see if it matches up with pictures. So there was um, some archives in the city of Memphis that showed the face of the uh, Pharaoh Khufu. And he tried to match it up with the uh, face on the Sphinx. And um, it was a no match. It was a no match, people. It was a no match. Ladies and gentlemen, the Sphinx was not the Pharaoh Khufu's face, okay? The face of the Sphinx was originally much bigger and it was never a lion's face, okay? The face of the Sphinx was originally um, an individual that came from a group of, in, of, of deities called the Netters, called the Netters, okay? N-E-R, no, N-E-T-E-R-S, the Netters. And, you know, uh, basically the original gods on this planet with large hook heads, um, you know, uh, African features, okay, and when the uh, British, when the British explorers came into Kemet, of course, you know, we all know they shot the nose off, okay, that was the third thing that ruined the Sphinx image, okay, you had water erosion, you had wind erosion, and you had, um, people trying to reconstruct it from a net the netter's face to somebody else's face when Kemet was taken over by the Greeks but it was not Khufu the 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 sphinx was never built in Khufu's image people that is a lie it's a flat out lie i'm getting ready to blow you guys away the sphinx 
represents the Virgo, the Virgo head over the Leo head. Let me repeat. The, and that's what we'll be looking for that Virgo in the constellations too. Semites were very, very connected to the cosmos and astrology. Okay? So they had the Sphinx face east and have its behind towards the west. Okay? They had it face east and have its behind towards the west. So when the Leo star constellation rose, it would be facing itself. You're saying when the Leo and the Vir Virgo star constellation rose in the eastern horizon, they wanted the Sphinx, the, uh, the Sphinx facing itself. So the Sphinx had the body of Leo and the face of Virgo. So the Sphinx had the heart of the lion and the mind of the Virgo because the Virgo was ruled by Mercury, which rules the mind. So they had the head of the Sphinx be Virgo, which was ruled by Mercury, which, ha which has to do with the mind and have the body um, personify Leo, which was ruled by the heart. So they wanted to personify people having the heart of the lion and the mind of the Virgo, the mind of the Virgin, the pure mind of the Virgin, the Virgo, ruled by Mercury, the heart ruled by Sun, Leo, Aten, you see, you see what I'm saying, Ra. So every time Ra rose, every time Leo and Virgo rose, the Sphinx would be facing itself. Perfectly. This was before the pole shift, so it did it more perfectly. Six, uh, approximately six thousand uh, years ago. Actually, um, this was thirteen thousand years ago because, the, like I said, the the people who came from Ethiopia to Kemet, when they came to Kemet, the Sphinx and the pyramids were already there, and the pyramids were put here to harvest electromagnetic energy coming from inner Earth and to project that energy into stargates, people. That's how you get your Bermuda Triangle. That's how you get your Dragon's Triangle. That's how you get all your restricted areas across this earth, across this globe. You see what I'm saying? Because there are certain pyramid shapes over land that that um, that uh, harness electromagnetic energy and pull spirits in from one dimension into this dimension and shoot spirits from this dimension into other dimensions. Uh, the stargates they're called stargates okay and your government has made many many movies many documentaries and many cartoons with this information okay the thundercats the thundercats was another cartoon that showed you guys what the sphinx was really built for okay these objects are known as stargates okay objects that are used uh, for communication between this dimension and the next okay um we as people have not reached that level of consciousness yet i don't think we're going to reach that um until 2021 okay to be honest with people so like i said makes sense the the, the big secret is the sphinx was actually part of um lumeria when the continents were connected together in Pangaea, okay? So when the continents split apart, there was a piece of North Africa that was, that was um, cracked off of Africa, and it, it fell, like, it fell away from it in the Atlantic Ocean, 
and that was Atlantis. When the next pole shift happened after that, Atlantis sunk beneath the ocean and fell to the bottom of the earth, okay? Now that's known as Antarctica, okay? So the Sphinx, um, in my opinion, is older than the uh, pyramids in Egypt, okay? The Sphinx was carbon dated to be over 22,000 years old. The pyramids in Egypt are carbon dated to be 13,000 years old. Um, the Sphinx is over 20, 22,000 years old. Okay, like I said, when our ancestors, the Kemites, first got to Egypt, the pyramids and the Sphinx were already there. Okay, and if the, the pollen samples, the pollen samples taken off of the Sphinx and the uh, pyramids showed that they were once surrounded by um, an environment of tropical rainforest. And the last time Northern Africa, which is the Sahara Desert, the last time that was a tropical rainforest was was before the damn ice age, was uh, over 25,000 years ago. You see what I'm saying? People have to wake up. People have to wake up, man, because this globe, this world is due for another pole, sh uh, another pole shift in the future, okay? So like I said, the Sphinx is basically telling humanity we need to have the heart of a lion and the mind of the virgin, the mind of the Virgo. That is what our ancestors were trying to tell us when they built the Sphinx. Because the Sphinx actually personifies the sun moving through the galaxy. Okay? Anything not moving is considered dead. I'm approving. The only curse word in existence is the word damn, is the word damn. That's, I'm t oh, watch, I'm getting ready to blow you guys away. I'm getting ready to blow you guys away. F-U-C-K is not a curse word. It's fornication under the king's consent. Fornication under the king. That's what the F-U-C-K word is, okay? Um, you cannot fornicate with another female unless you had the English king's consent. That's not a curse word. Faggot is a bundle of sticks. That's not a curse word. Bitch is a female dog. It's right there in your dictionary, people. That's not a curse word. D-I-C-K is somebody's name. That's not a that's not a curse word. There's people walking around here with that name. P-U-S-S-Y is, is personifying a cat. In the dictionary, that's what a cat is. That's not a curse word. This is what the media and the government has has uh, brainwashed you to believe that these words are curse words, but they're not curse words. Because like I said, you people have been brainwashed, okay? The only curse word is the word damn, D-A-M-N. When you curse somebody, you damn them, you damn them to hell. And the only way you can damn somebody, the only way you can damn something is when you stop it from moving. It's when you stop it from moving and it's stagnant and you stop its motion. Because the motion of the stars, the motion of the sun, the motion of the moon, the motion of the earth gives life and produces electromagnetic energy. So when you want to damn something and you want to take away its electromagnetic energy, you want to stop it. 
you want to make it stagnant. You see what I'm saying? You want to you want to make it stationary and motionless to dam it up, just like the Hoover Dam was the Colorado River producing all that electromagnetic energy. And what did they do to cut that shit off and to suck all the energy away from it? They dammed it up. God damn it, they dammed it up. And they stopped its motion. So when your motion is stopped, when your spiritual progression is stopped from moving in and out of dimensions, you're damned. You're stuck in 3D, you're damned. You're stuck in 4D, you're damned. In Egypt, Okay, the Sphinx was carbon dated to be over 22,000 years old. The pyramids in Egypt are carbon dated to be 13,000 years old. Um, the Sphinx is over 20, 22,000 years old. Okay, like I said, when our ancestors, the Chemites, first got to Egypt, the pyramids and the Sphinx were already there. Okay, and if the, the pollen samples, the pollen samples taken off of the Sphinx and the uh, pyramids show that they were once surrounded by um, an environment of tropical rainforest. And the last time Northern Africa, which is the Saharan Desert, the last time that was a tropical rainforest was, was before the damn Ice Age, was uh, over 25,000 years ago. You see what I'm saying? People have to wake up. People have to wake up, man, because this globe, this world, is due for another pole, sh uh, another pole shift in the future okay so like i said the sphinx is basically telling humanity we need to have the heart of a lion and the mind of the virgin the mind of the virgo that is what our ancestors were trying to tell us when they built the sphinx because the sphinx actually personifies the sun moving through the galaxy okay Anything not moving is considered dead. I'm going to prove it. The only curse word in existence is the word damn. Is the word damn. That's, I'm t oh, watch, I'm getting ready to blow you guys away. I'm getting ready to blow you guys away. F-U-C-K is not a curse word. It's fornication under the king's consent. Fornication under the king. That's what the F-U-C-K word is, okay? Um, you cannot fornicate with another female unless you had the English king's consent. That's not a curse word. Faggot is a bundle of sticks. That's not a curse word. Bitch is a female dog. It's right there in your dictionary, people. That's not a curse word. D-I-C-K is somebody's name. That's not, a, that's not a curse word. There's people walking around here with that name. P-U-S-S-Y is, is personifying a cat. In the dictionary, that's what a cat is. That's not a curse word. This is what the media and the government has, has uh, brainwashed you to believe. That these words are curse words, but they're not curse words. Because like I said, you people have been brainwashed. Okay? The only curse word is the word damn. D-A-M-N. When you curse somebody, you damn them. You damn them to hell. And the only way you can damn somebody, the only way you can damn something is when you stop it from moving. It's when you stop it from moving and it's stagnant and you stopped its motion. Because the motion of the stars, the motion of the sun, 
the motion of the moon, the motion of the earth gives life and produces electromagnetic energy. So when you want to dam something and you want to take away its electromagnetic energy, you want to stop it. You want to make it stagnant. You see what I'm saying? You want to you want to make it stationary and motionless to dam it up, just like the Hoover Dam was the Colorado River producing all that electromagnetic energy. And what did they do to cut that shit off and to suck all the energy away from it? They dammed it up. God damn it, they dammed it up. And they stopped its motion. So when your motion is stopped, when your spiritual progression is stopped from moving in and out of dimensions, you're damned. You're stuck in 3D, you're damned. You're stuck in 4D, you're damned. But these motherfuckers out here think they're some kind of gods. But they're all damned up. And they're going to be continue to be damned up for the next 26,000 years. But they think but they think they know some shit. And I'm here to tell I'm here to tell you if you don't get back to your the way your ancestors were doing was doing things and get rid of this parasite out of power, you're going to perish. If you don't detach from this government system, or you don't take out the, the true root of the problem, which is the Vatican and the, and the British monarchy, your ancestors are going to look at you as just another damn parasite who's going along with the flow, you know what I'm saying? Leading you down a path straight to hell, straight to be damned up. The land of the damned, the damned, damned up. They can't move. They're stuck. They can't go to fourth and fifth density. They're damned up. Hmm. Like I said, anything that's not in motion is dead and died off. Dead. Your ancestors built the Sphinx. Y-N-X. Feline. Heart of a lion. Mind of the Virgo. Mind of the Virgin. The man's face over the body of a lion showing you to use your heart and your mind and not to think with your lower self the sphinx was to remind humanity not to think with their lower self to look up that's why they had the sphinx face the eastern horizon to look at itself virgo and leo rising up over the horizon and looking at the sun rise in the east telling humanity that the creator and the ancestors were right up there right up there in the stars but you got these motherfuckers out here praying with their heads down giving their energy and their soul to demons to demons uh reptilians and greys it's time to wake up it's time to wake up people it's time to wake up it's time to wake up man